0: Welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as usual by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we've got, uh, we're back into Germany with this week's episode. But um, before that, before we get into the film, I kind of want to just quickly sort of say uh, apologies for uh, this episode going up a couple of days late. Um, I was at a music festival over the weekend and kind of didn't have time to get together and record and finish watching the film, so...
1: A bit worse for wear?
0: Uh, it wasn't too bad. It was more just like, you know, three-day music festival followed by straight back into work, and then it's like, trying to find time to watch a kind of surrealistic noir German expressionist film is kind of hard. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's totally quite different to a music festival.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's different than watching the Pixies play. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, apologies, but I'm hoping to get this up either on Friday night or Saturday morning, so it's only, you know, a day or two, and then we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming. Before we jump into the episode, it is spine number 231, which means it is time for a look back at the previous 10. Uh, Being totally candid with our listeners, um, we've already finished recording the episode on Mabuse, and we... (laughs) Totally spaced on this So we're just going to Record it now And tack it in on the front So if there's some Dodgy editing That's why That's fine Yeah Don't worry about it Um, Yeah so I'll quickly run through The last ten We have Ikaru Diary of a Country Priest Matrice Pick up on South Street Tunes of Glory Onibaba Le Cobo Salvatore Giuliano Scenes from a Marriage And Three Women So, I mean, I'll kind of start by saying I was a little disappointed with that. Like, I mean, the ones that don't stand out in this list is Diary of a Country Priest. Mm -hmm. That's the one looking at it where I'm like, I barely remember anything of that one, really. Whereas a lot of the others, they're very clear, vivid, you know, I, I distinctly remember these films and enjoy and remember enjoying a lot of them. Uh, Pick Up on South Street was a real sleeper, and I was, no- I, like, in the sense of I was expecting nothing and really enjoyed that. I so- like Samuel Fuller a lot. Um, his Tarantino-esque style.
1: Yeah. Is, um, is, nope. it's, it's fun. It's really fun.
0: Exactly, and it was just a really well-made movie. Um, Tunes of Glory was something different that I wasn't quite expecting from Ronald Neiman, and in particular Alec Guinness, so that was fine. Onibaba, weird, trippy, fun, different.
1: Well, I'd also watched Kiran Echo, which was... Um, the kind of sister film to that by yeah. the same director and that was way better. Yeah. Only Bubble was still great. I love Japanese horror so yeah. it's it's
0: um it was really good, mm. but I mean, I mean, shit. Like, it, I, I'm sorry every other film in this list, but it's fucking *Icarus*. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <shit. laughs> like,
1: uh, *Matrix* was was also really good.
0: Yeah, it um, was kind of different from the BSM Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, one <laughs> um, out there. But yeah, like Icaru my honorable mentions are. It definitely goes to scenes from a *Marriage*, though. That was incredible. Um, mm. As it was three women, like both of those incredible and would be my runner-up films but i'm sorry like ikaru is just a not just one of kurosawa's best films but it is just a fucking masterpiece of cinema like it it is so good (laughs) that nothing could compare like that is arguably the best film we've done in this lot of 200s even so far
1: uh took a story is also in there, though, so...
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and they're also... I mean, man, imagine doing a double feature of Tokyo Story in Ikaru. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're kind of Contemplative the same. on life, I mean...
1: Yeah, they are existential in, 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 and deep and all that. Um, but Ikaru... I, I find that Kurosawa's non-samurai films to be better. I agree. I, do, do I, mean, like, I 100% agree with you. It they're is, more contemplative and they're more... that. You, you can really you can relate to them
0: everyone, on such a deep level whenever you mention kurosawa everyone jumps to seven samurai ran rashomon yojimbo all of those ones um, but no one mentions Ikaru or high and low yeah, yeah and i think it is that modern contextualization it helps you connect and relate and he's dealing with like yes the uni- like all those other films have universal themes but at the same time they're not in a modern setting that help you kind of like, Ikaru is very much a modern story, like dealing with a bureaucrat and like his sense of like what is my life being worth. Like, yeah, it's so beautiful.
1: It's a, I guess it's like a city folks problem. Yeah, but but not really. It's it's
0: it's a universal it's theme, but to told be. in a
1: modern setting. Like. It felt like a lovely Ghibli film. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's there's those quite heavy dark themes in Ghibli, but they always round themselves out to be a really wholesome yeah. beautiful experience and Ikaru provided that
0: like that final shot image from Ikaru of him on the swing set is forever burned in my brain yeah. as it's just a beautiful yeah, beautiful ending of a film like it is yeah it's a goddamn masterpiece it's and awesome. I, I would say like one of Kurosawa's top five top three for me
1: um it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter no it's, it's
0: arbitrary I mean
1: <laughs> I I never like to do that whole star thing or the put a numerical value thing because you should just probably, in my opinion, you should just discuss film yeah, and just leave it at that and not try and... Slap a number onto it. it. Not try and compare. No. Do you know, like it's... Let let art be its own thing, whatever. Mm. Um, But I also... Scenes from a Marriage, I'm really excited that I found a Bergman piece that I really loved. Um, So I want to give some like serious props to that.
0: Mm. But also, uh, I think I told you, like we had a listener sort of say that they're super happy that we fight, like we finally cracked Bergman, <laughs> like <laughs> that we finally found on that like made us like really yeah. engaged. So. Well,
1: but the themes in, in scenes for a marriage, uh, uh, common themes that I I can relate to. When, when he does his more religious stuff, I can't.
0: Yeah, I can't like the, the last with... couple we did, like uh, Winter Light and um, uh, Through a Glass Darkly and stuff, was a bit yeah. tough. But I mean, and then he, although you do have the ones where he goes like full on sadness, where you've got like Cries and Whispers and Autumn Sonata and stuff, which were great. But, I like Autumn Sonata. Quite yeah, like that, yeah, they were really great films, but they're they're an emotional slog to get through. Mm. Whereas this, like. Seems from a marriage, I almost put in that realm of like existential or like not contemplative, I guess. Like in that same realm as like wild strawberries, I guess. They're a mirror. Yeah,
1: that's what I've understood now. Is yeah. Ber- if you're gonna watch a Bergman film, it's a mirror, and you have to be fully prepared to look at yourself. Yes. and if you don't do that, you're not connecting, and you're not experiencing the film.
0: and you're not gonna. It's not gonna do anything.
1: So, uh, so I'm happy to to have finally been able to do that. Yeah, um, three women. I also. Thoroughly really loved Like
0: yeah. old man What's not to love
1: Yeah So it was, it was actually It was a really good run mm.
0: um, But yeah Well I guess on that note um, Yeah Ikaru Thumbs up All around <laughs> Well let's, uh, let's get into This week's film then But <laughs> But or and I mean and probably But I'm like uh, Do we even address it Or just fuck it Straight into the film What Let's just go straight into the film.
1: What, the, the, the Australian release? Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it, I reckon. No, I, I want to talk about the ridiculous classification that's
0: on Roma, the Roma <laughs> release. Okay, yeah, so we will get into it then. Um, so, uh, something interesting kind of happened with the release of Roma from the Criterion Collection. Obviously, our US listeners, which is the majority of our listeners, um, you kind of have your standard DigiBook edition that just came out. Uh, we here in Australia have just gotten our first official Criterion release. It's never happened before for a, a Criterion film to come out on Blu-ray and be like readily available without, you know, someone or a store importing them. Um, and it's a, a place called uh, JB Hi-Fi, which is our equivalent to the US version like Best Buy. Essentially, they put it out as an exclusive release, and um, yeah, so we have our first Australian Criterion.
1: Yeah, you showed me a photo of your newly bought Roma. Yes. And it had this really really I mean the as always the box art is great, but it has this really really ugly classification on the, the bottom left corner of the
0: yeah. DVD. Yeah. For people un- who aren't familiar with the Australian classification system, um we kind of it's kind of similar to the UK one where we have like a little thing on the front, the side and the back of your box art that kind of says the rating. But in Australia, it's fucking massive, and it covers, like, a third of the cover, like, down the bottom, like, across ways, and it's... It's not a third, but it's the fact that it's a bright red, and it just fucks up. Yeah. It fucks up the the whole... The aesthetic of it all. Like, And the fact that it's not a Digibook edition, it's in a standard kind of blue Amore, Blu-ray case, it's it's a bit of a bummer, but uh, I think, as I said to you, like, uh, it being, like, $16 or whatever to buy here in Australia versus, like... The 40 it would cost to import
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's really good for you
0: Yeah, it's, it's great But um, I, I don't know if it's going to be a continued thing my, my my suspicion is that they've put it out Because it is one of the Netflix Criterion films um, And because of that It's, you know, very kind of high profile and things And so that's the reason why it's kind of come out And Netflix being a universe, like a massive global... Production company. Um, we'll probably see, you know, Marriage Story, The Irishman, some of the bigger Netflix releases that are coming from Criterion. But I, I kind of doubt it's going to be a regular thing. Like they yes. haven't slated, like you know, <laughs> you know, some of the other stuff that's coming up down the down the pike. Like you know, Bamboozled <laughs> or like you know, Paris is Burning aren't yeah. coming out.
1: Or <laughs> the back catalog anyway. But yeah. I it does. It's kind of promising to me that Australia is getting some kind of taste because I do want. The Criterion Channel To be accessible here it, it, And it's it, not at the moment It is But you need a VPN I fucking tried that It didn't work I got a an VPN and, and it still was Kind of kicking me out
0: So it kept kicking you out That's kind of weird Um Yeah I mean I haven't Signed in Or kind of Attempted to lock in Or anything Since it kind of It's initial release So maybe they've changed The protocols and stuff And it's become it just that way.
1: It gets you to sign a petition. Do you want it in this nation? And I say yeah. yes. Yes, so of course, please. Anyone, this an Australian listener um, that's listening now, I'm going to give it a little push. Yeah. Go to the Criterion Channel website and give a tick because I'd like to get on-demand Criterion.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I know I know currently, like because there was such a big demand. Um, I mean, through the Criterion website and things, you could own. They only ship to uh, North America, so Canada and the US um because of such a kind of backlash because of that and i mean i understand how and why it happens because of you know distribution and you know rights issues and things that's fine but i know because of that backlash uh criterion is now releasing in the uk so they you know not every title but a a bunch of titles are available in the uk and so hopefully you know trickle down effect it might make stuff available here It'd be great I, Like, I, It'd make our jobs a whole lot oh easier yeah. It's it's kind of I always wonder Like you know People that do podcasts like this nowadays Like with Video stores not existing Or rarely existing and stuff Like it's It's fucking tough
1: You like, can't You can't Yeah you can't rent But even I mean Criterion is fucking niche. Like, you can't... You can't expect that even a video store back in the 90s would have half the shit.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's super hard to try and track down a copy of The Testament of Dr. Mabuse. (laughs) like, to to sit down and watch. That isn't the Criterion edition, so...
1: Mabuse. Mabuse? Mabuse. What did I say? Mabuse? Yeah, last time we were were asking, like, what the fuck? How do you say that? Because I
0: used to always think it was Mabusu, but it's, um, Mabuse. Mabuse. So... Perfect segue into uh, this week's film, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, yeah. Fritz Lang, 1933.
1: His second sound film, we've seen M before.
0: Yes, uh, M's like number 34, yeah. 33, 34 in the collection, yeah. so 200 films ago. <laughs> yeah, a
1: long time ago. <laughs> now, uh, Did you want to do, do you want to read out the back again? <laughs> yeah, like that was actually time? a really
0: good idea and it kind of made Cause, it.
1: Because I think like st- straight up this film's plot is is quite convoluted it's a very plot heavy film
0: yeah there's kind of like three plots in one essentially So <laughs> i don't want
1: to be yeah a lot of a lot of characters kind of running around and we're jumping from one to the other so i think i don't want to be tripping over myself trying to do a plot
0: yeah and also by doing this it means we get the, all the character names up as well so we can cool. uh cool man honestly i've got like uh dr baum and lily and tom and loman that's about it <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hoffmeister.
0: Oh, that's right. Well, yeah, so you just keep losing all the names. But uh, here we go. Plot synopsis according to the back of the Criterion box: locked away in an asylum for decades and teetering between life and death, the criminal mastermind Doctor Mabuse, Rudolf Klein-Rogge, uh, has scribbled his last will and testament, a manifesto establishing a future empire of crime. When the document, nefariously, when the document's nefarious writing start leading to terrifying parallels in reality. It's up to it's up to Berlin Star Detective Inspector Lohmann, uh, Otto Wernicke, uh, sorry Otto Wernicke, uh, reprising his role from M, uh, to connect the most fragmented, maddening clues in a case unlike any other. A sequel to the enormously successful silent film Dr Mabuse the Gambler, uh, Fritz Lang's The Testament of Dr Mabuse, reunites the director with the character that had effectively launched his career. Lang puts slogans and ideas expounded by the Nazis into the mouth of a madman, warning his audience of an imminent menace, which was soon to become a reality. So it mentions
1: Nazis on the back of it?
0: Oh, I'm not done yet. There's still even more, and they're getting into Goebbels, if you want me to keep going.
1: Yeah, no, I've done some research, and I went into that as well,
0: but yeah. yeah. Go on. Nazi Nazi Minister of Information Joseph Goebbels saw the film as an instruction manual for terrorist action against the government and banned it for endangering public order and security. A landmark mystery of suspense for countless espionage and noir thrillers to come. This is a complete, uncut, original director's version in a stunning new transfer. Oh my
1: goodness. (laughs) Yes. Well, there actually are quite a few versions. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Lang himself directed a French version,
0: I think... Simultaneously, while directing the German version, um, the majority of the actors were able to speak both German and French, so...
1: I thought it was just Lohmann, uh, who was a a bilingualist, and he was used in both of the versions. Otherwise, they get new... They save save the sets and they reuse them, and and then they also uh, get a whole bunch of new cast members to do the French version in an attempt to uh, get the film out to a foreign market.
0: Mm. Uh, Well... Yeah, well, from the research I had, it was a, uh, quite a few of the cast was bilingual, okay. so we were able to. But um, yes, you are, like, that's to kind of had the wider spread, especially following on from M, and obviously, Fritz Lang had gotten a bit of, you know, notoriety, notoriety off of, you know, the first Dr. Mabuse and Metropolis and things, like, he was a known figure in the world of cinema, so it's nice to get his stuff out there, so.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Goebbels really liked Metropolis.
0: Yeah, uh, what do I have here, actually? Um, I've got a whole thing about um, when uh, Fritz Lang talked about how he actually got called in for a meeting with Goebbels and Uh Goebbels had said that uh, both himself and Hitler had counted Lang's earlier films as amongst their favourites, listing Metropolis and, um, yeah, a whole bunch of others. Um, However, they did not much care for his later films.
1: Yeah, I I find it interesting that Goebbels... Uh, banned it for the reason that he did Thinking that it was uh, Advertising a way to Break down a state through criminal activity Whereas as I understand it The film is more an allegory for Hitler Yeah And If I'm wrong but it sounds like Goebbels didn't Connect with that and just saw it as It's, it's a terrorist movie
0: Yeah and he totally missed the actual thing of Mabuse is essentially Hitler, like this figurehead that's pulling the strings from behind, a breaking curtain. down society in order to get his own his own, for his his own, own means order. and like being able to manipulate people into his to his women things. Like, yeah, yeah it, it kind of adds to the hilarity that Goebbels just viewed the film on a total base level of this is about like a terrorist group and there's like a book in they talk about a book and instructions they're gonna people are gonna follow this and it's a terrorist manifesto, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well,
1: Goebbels was. Made Ministry of Public Enlightenment in 1933, which is... the I, I think like two now. weeks before the film came out. Yeah. And it was in editing at the time. Yes. And when he did finally see the film, he says, absolutely not. But I saw your Metropolis. Do you want to make films for the Nazis? To which Lang's just like I'm out of Germany see Yeah he's like I, d-
0: I don't like the way These winds are changing And goodbye yeah. And yeah Move to France Which is um, where we would Eventually see him Pop up in contempt Playing himself uh, In Goddard's film Like okay. Yeah because he had Emigrated and ne- just Never came back Interesting mm.
1: Interesting yeah. I mean it's kind of It's kind of It's 1933 It's not It's not You know 1941 yet No But Hitler was around I wanted, I wanted to talk I suppose We haven't talked about the film yet But
0: No, no Well, I mean Do we want to Just get all of this stuff out of the way okay. the kind of history And the, the time uh, yeah, and place I think Before I, maybe we maybe get we into, we, into the film itself
1: Yeah, let's Let's try and contextualise it historically Because Hitler was A politician In the 20s And he was already putting out Some pretty Oh, fuck Scandalous yeah. shit. Yeah. Downright fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the Jews then. Even, I think by 1923, they had... He had 15,000... They're called Sturmertailing, which is Stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure is where the Star Wars Stormtroopers come from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he was, he was anointed uh, Chancellor of Germany in 1933. And then, you know, the rest is... And then... Fucked up history. Yes. But anyway, so... Hitler is already a public figure. So so Lang decides, I'm going to make a film that's going to be an allegory for if you get some fucked up dude that's planting seeds of hatred and destruction in a, in a state to, to kind of feed a, a fear and a, and a hate towards people within the, their own state, yeah. then you can completely break it down and start controlling everybody. And I think that's what Dr. Mubuse Is also trying to do Bring about some kind of control through Terrorism, effectively
0: Yeah, and Lang is essentially like, I mean We'll get into it, but like the overall message And where the film ends up going And what it says about all of that Like our kind of through line and our conduit Through it is something that kind of Is in total reversal of that So it's fun to see Lang You know, try and Make a social commentary on what is happening in Germany at the moment, uh, doing it in a way that it's going to be, or theoretically was going to be, a massive commercial hit by making a sequel to one of his most popular films and bringing back all of these characters and stuff again. You know, not just from the one film, but bringing back the detective from M. Like you know, his world. He's creating his own cinematic universe yeah, essentially. I was about to say, yeah. um, <laughs> but then having the end be as uh, someone who has been disillusioned by society and has joined this kind of group where they are being manipulated and things fighting back against it like it's a really nice little thing he's doing there and it just sucks that it got banned
1: <laughs> yeah but I what what was your initial impression because i I got to admit that it's a it's a two hour long film yes, yeah. a long film
0: yeah, the original uncut version is a uh, two and two hours four minutes.
1: yeah and I did find. More or less, the first hour to be not that engaging. It was, it was interesting uh, technically. Yes. Um, certainly, the sound design is, is probably the star of the show here. But uh, I think because there's a convoluted plot and you're following so many characters, that it that I felt it kind of disconnect. It didn't kind of pull me in until there was almost that. It's almost like high fantasy when Doctor Mabuse is uh, taking. Inhabiting Dr. Bound's uh, uh,
0: when, when that scene came I was just like This is where Tom got real interested Where he's got yeah. like the weird fucked up like he- brain head thing And it's like visually incredible yeah. Like um, So w- w- was that the area Where you kind of really started to connect Like in that back half Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah yeah So you, for me I was more like about the first After about 20-30 minutes That's when I was really starting to get Into it actually like I it didn't take me that long to kind of get on the train <laughs> with
1: that's, this film. that's more or less the, so the that's more or less when the information regarding there is a figure in the insane asylum named Dr Mbuse that's potentially uh, hypnotizing or that was from some, some was kind previously. of sorcery
0: yeah, and I, I don't know if it was causing
1: be- some kind of so, a criminal a criminal actions inhabiting people's minds, giving them ideas yeah. to. To have a crime spree, effectively.
0: Yeah, essentially. And then I think it's, for me, it was when you realise that there's the organisation or essentially, the Empire of Crime that he's established, yeah. going off and doing these, like, mass chaos things. You're like, oh, this is really fun. Like, mm. this is a cool... And then you've got, you know, the burly old detective tracking them down. And then you've, you've got, like, all of these disparate elements of a classic noir that it's... He's taken all of these classic elements and just kind of twisted them on their head with this kind of bizarre, surrealist, almost like supernatural slant to it that adds something new to that genre, which is super fun. I found
1: it's it's unique because yeah, you, you don't you don't necessarily ever see anything that's like let's do a film noir crime thriller, but also.
0: It's have, fantasy. It's fantasy, and it's like this weird, and there's like horror imagery in it as well. Like, yeah, it delves into that whole supernatural stuff. Yeah.
1: I can't think of a single film that's actually similar, actually, in any
0: way. Not that's noir. No, yeah, it's it's such a unique, weird beast. um But yeah, so I guess you know, as we've sort of set, like you know, the back of the box, the criterion, as we explain, you know, there's a. Crime organization, and that's one of our conduits. Is one of the uh, members of that organization, Tom, who um, has been uh, helping pull off some counterfeit, counterfeit robberies and you know, bank robberies and things. And has kind of just had enough of it all. I mm. guess like when he's, when it's looking like Musa is forcing him to start killing people, that's when he's like, I'm, I'm out. This is not what I signed up for. And it becomes that whole thing of like you're out when we say you're out kind of thing, and you're like that's that's a fun, unique little thing. And you, you add in the love interest that he wants to get out for, like it's great. Yeah, it, it's a very tropey, yeah. you know, story, but there's enough weirdness going on in the in the background <laughs> that makes it unique.
1: It becomes clear that all of the figures of authority in the film, are an to authority in the real world yes. governments whatever do you think i was trying to figure pinpoint where tom as a, a character as an allegory fit into that kind of landscape and yeah is he is he kind of your everyday man that's yes. all, kind of aware and wants to break it break away from it
0: yeah that that was my read um okay. looking at my notes what i had written down was he's basically a man disillusioned by the system that has turned its back on him yeah um and it's kind of pushed him into a further life of crime because he talks about how his whole issue was he was in jail and now he comes out he's an engineer and he can't get a job because he was in prison and so it's you know again society turning its back on those people that you know need its help the most and so because of that it's kind of pushed him into a you know deeper into the world of crime and so he's decided to then he's you know found this group that, that you know the Empire of Crime, and he's joining forces with them because they're mabuse's whole thing is we're gonna break down society like, fuck it all. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not doing this to, for, for our own gains, we're doing it just to break it all down.
1: It's corrupted and evil, so, yeah,
0: yeah. And he's like, fuck oh this system has turned its back on me, and I hate it. Like, yeah, let's burn it all down. And in the process of him doing that, he finds love. And in the form of Lily. And, you know, starts a relationship with her. And he's like, well, hang on a second. If I break everything down, then this is all for nothing. Like, I've actually found something worth fighting for. And so he's supposed to be our conduit, I guess. And i like...
1: There's two people that you sympathize with, and that's that's Tom. Mm -hmm. Because he's the only one that feels like he has an emotional connection with, let's say, a humanistic connection to anything. And that's Lily. Um, And also... Low... Oh, Lohman. Lohman, um, who's... The detective. The detective, who's obviously a man of, of truth and justice, so you're going to connect with him um, moralistically, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and, and not just that, but he's just a fun detective to follow on in an investigation, yeah. and he's doing it like... It's the whole intro as well of like how it's a Hoffmeister calling him because he's actually stumbled upon the Empire of Crime and he's figured it all out, and he calls Lohman trying to explain it all, but because Hoffmeister was a... Disgraced Officer Lomans just like Fuck off <laughs> Like yeah. I want nothing to do with you And then when he finds out You know It's Then his whole thing is like Well fuck I was wrong He actually is a good man And now I've got to avenge him It's It's super fun <laughs> Like yeah. Cliche good Fun times <laughs> Yeah he's
1: Yeah he is the entertainment I suppose
0: <laughs> Oh very much so uh,
1: But I mean In the French version They cut out A lot of the um, Tom and Lily romantic
0: Moments <laughs> So that's like that about would, 30 minutes I think it's cut I wonder how that would play because initially I, I found that stuff to be a bit boring but then it's yeah, it's
1: heavy in the start I think that's why I was somewhat disengaged
0: but then I like I said like you figure out why it's there it's serving a purpose because it is the arc it's creating that arc and that growth for Tom because if you remove that you kind of like what, what leads him to decide to turn on Mabuse and the Empire of Crime like other than I don't want to kill people I guess... I guess you, like it adds that heart yeah. to it, and it's it motivation, essentially.
1: Certainly in retrospect, because halfway through the film, when you start to pick up this is an allegory for, for Hitler and the breakdown of society and terrorism and whatnot, yeah. then Tom and Lily become quite important figures in the story. But in the process leading up to that, when you haven't made that connection, it can be a bit dull. And there's a lot of great special effects, great practical effects that make it quite a bombastic... I mean, there's some really great uh, practical explosions and whatever mm, I'm, and, pr- I'm pretty sure people were thinking If we're going to put it to a foreign market Let's make this fun
0: Yes And so yeah. we'll
1: remove the the quote-unquote Wimpy bullshit romantic stuff And we'll keep the explosions
0: We'll just keep for the fun schlock detective action stuff As yeah. opposed to yeah. the, the growth and the character stuff, I guess Yeah you know we've got to keep in Dr Mabuse with his human fly outfit on his <laughs> <laughs> bug eyes and his brain head <laughs> yeah mm. so yeah, yeah in the what I'm saying
1: is um uh, i I was annoyed by Lily and, and Tom's storyline until basically until the the man behind the curtain, the literal man behind the curtain the, the
0: Wizard of Oz reveal,
1: yeah yeah, yeah,'t yeah, is that it's really interesting, I wonder if Wizard of Oz tech um Took from this film and said...
0: Oh, no, no, this took from Wizard of Oz. This was actually... Wizard of Oz was first. Oh, Wizard of Oz was was the 20s, I want to say. Early 20s.
1: Um, Oh, yes, and then they did the colour re-release or whatever.
0: Oh, no, no, I mean, the book. Like, uh, the book before the movie, (laughs) Wizard of Oz.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm so uncultured. (laughs)
0: No, yeah. Uh, Not just that, but let's add in the added element of uh, the Wizard of Oz book was written by someone called uh, L. Frank Baum. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Baum is the name of the professor. Like it's a direct Holy nod. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Not fair enough. Mm,
0: it's it's a direct nod, and I like. Okay. I think Lang was just so tickled by that idea of this 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 figure that looms large as like behind this curtain, pulling all the strings, and then it just ends up being no, <laughs> it's a cardboard cutout. <laughs> like.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I. That's right. So 1940, Wizard of Oz is released. Yes. The film. Yeah. Of course it's a book. I completely forgot it's a book. Oh, there's like there's a whole
0: series of them, yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, I'm thanks for letting me know. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry for shaming you. No, that's cool. Like I, 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 the film's like a masterpiece, so I'm always thinking, like, it's a that, film. That's a the book. first and foremost. You are talking about the Sam Raimi one with James Franco, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, we great. You <laughs> yeah. Oz oh, the Great and Powerful. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's so wonderful. Like that, when that reveal happens, that's like the full on, well, I mean, I wonder how it would play the French version without having the Tom and Lily storyline when it is because essentially he chooses not to go through with the latest heist and, you know, the, their kind of massive spree, um, because he just sits at home with her and they talk it through like that his willingness to change and like her... Going along and wanting to help him Because initially he was just going to bail Yeah And like he leaves her a note And then she's just like No Like fuck you I love you (laughs) Like it's So without all of that It would be really interesting to see You'd almost be like Well why is she here drowning in this room That's slowly filling with water
1: Yeah, she'd just be the tag along.
0: Yeah, it, it makes her. It removes
1: the damsel in distress kind of thing.
0: It, it makes it very much more tropey. Yeah. like that classic. Because I, I was I was writing a note, being like, you know, we've got every we've got all of our standard noir tropes, even the damsel in distress, that kind of you know the blonde woman that you know uh, our hero falls for, and then like actually, nah, scratch that. She actually has purpose here. She is not just a window dressing character. She's which is totally something that I find we complain a, a lot about When a lot of the films that we end up watching It's like, well why is that person there Other than to be window dressing mm. Like she actually serves a great purpose
1: I think she's she's the vehicle for, for Tom to change So
0: 100% And so eliminating her is kind of a bummer But what can you do
1: <laughs> Yeah, but you can still attach yourself to What I would call the The kind of The grander theme, which is Evil figures behind curtains, ruling things and manipulating the society, and deteriorating it. Hmm.
0: Um, yes, yes. Well, do we want to actually talk about the? I mean, we've talked, you know, thematically and story and stuff like that. Um, I, I think it is. It's probably not Lang's masterpiece of noir, but it's pretty close. Like in terms of it, the cinematography is. Awesome in this film. Yeah, like I, I think he absolutely nails it. Um, it's it's no M. M to me is like one of the greatest noirs ever. Like that is just like high watermark mm-hmm. film noir. Um, but he's doing something because it's not a traditional noir. It doesn't rely on those tropes of like you know the dark shadows and everything. But it is filmed in the same way. If you kind of follow.
1: Yeah, I think i think where m was more a cinematographer's dream yes this is i think more of a sound designer's dream yeah m2 was also quite remarkable in its sound design um i think from memory it was it was about a a killer that was Mm -hmm. killing children yes and he would whistle before he would do the murder yeah and without sound you could do a title card or something, but it just really wouldn't work in terms of suspense. Yeah. So you need that, that sound. And in this, in this film, um, it's the same kind of thing. The film opens with that printing press, just thumping away. And it is Hot that very,
0: as that very clearly like added in post sound. It's yeah. that heightened sound, which I think has to be a kind of nod to, we're, we're transitioning from the original Dr. Mabuse, which was a silent film into so we're going to start with like the first 10 minutes being kind of non-diegetic, kind of added in sound effects and then slowly transition into where a sound film as like that kind of...
1: You could almost just close your eyes for the first three minutes of that movie. Yeah. And still get that sense of
0: of terror. And the creeping and the someone hiding out and stuff. It's it's so well done. And that those camera shots of how he kind of creeps in and through that kind of printing press building. Like it's all well, essentially the Empire of Crime's hideout and stuff it's great and then the reveal of Huffmeister kind of popping out there it's it's such wonderful camera work and he he chooses when to move his camera and when to let it sit and stay like so perfectly
1: Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh it's also I think there was a there's a bunch of scenes which to me were real hard I think like even though I wasn't that engaged for the first half there were these spikes of Amazing sequences—the the car shooting. The, one, the car shooting—I was about to say the yeah. car shooting when a man is is on route to give information regarding Doctor Mabuse. He's a,
0: a fellow doctor at the at the Insane Asylum, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, I can't really remember. Yeah. Anyway,
1: he's he's passing. He's he's there to pass on information in his car. The the traffic lights break down, and it's just a shot looking down from front, almost kind of like bird's eye view, but not quite isometric or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. The cars pull up They start beeping their horns
0: Well no, it's it's the killer Purposely starts honking his horn uh-huh. To then get all the other cars To start honking their horn To create a cacophony of noise That will drown out the gunshot
1: Yeah, which you don't hear So there's all this The sound design going on Except for the gun And that masks the shooting
0: And it's it's uh, that lovely thing Of like the final shot Is the, the man who's about to be killed himself Honking his horn And like kind of having a smile on his face Of like, oh, we're all doing this Little does he know he's creating the distraction noise that will, like, for his own murder.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's assisting Yeah, <laughs> assisting his own death. So, yeah, it's, I think, for me, just like I was really engaged by all that kind of thing, the sound design. Even even down to the fact where Dr. Baum set up that that tripwire with his gramophone, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sound stuff going on. The, the man behind the curtain's got... You can hear him, but you can't see him. Uh, yeah, definitely... Big tick for sound design. Um, yeah, what else?
0: Like, thematically and story-wise, this film has had a massive influence on a modern classic. Really? Um, yeah, I'm going to... Actually, I've got it written down because I found it so interesting that I ended up writing down the whole thing. of. Um, it's essentially the manifesto of um, the Empire of Crime. Mabuse's kind of manifesto in all of his writings. It's... Humanity's soul must be shaken to its very depths, frightened by the unfathomable and seemingly senseless crimes. Crimes that benefit no one, whose only objective is to inspire fear and terror. Because the ultimate purpose of crime is to establish the endless empire of crime, a state of complete insecurity and anarchy founded upon the tainted ideas of a world doomed to annihilation, when humanity, subjugated to the terrors of crime, has been driven insane by fear and horror, and when chaos has become supreme law, then will be the time. Then the time will have come for the empire of crime. Does that sound like the manifesto or the credo of any other famous character to you? Yeah. If
1: I create a state of fear, I can do whatever I want," mm. said Hitler.
0: Well, see, I'm, no, no. See, I'm saying character, not real person. Oh. This uh, Doctor Magoo is the major influence for one of the most famous villains in pop culture. That that idea of wanting to break down and tear down the system just for the sake of a Joker, nailed it.
1: Ah, you reckon Joker's based off character this character?
0: One hundred percent, down to the point of uh, Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan Nolan uh, rewatched the film about five to ten times while they were writing the script of The Dark Knight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But, yeah, the idea. But, of, a,
1: but even a, a even a new world order that's based off crime is still see, order. It's, it's,
0: it's not. It's not that far. It is the, like the, the ideas idea is. I mean, it, it kind of loses it towards the end there. But it's the idea of inspiring fear and terror in people that you essentially then break down society so that there is no law. Okay, that's the that's Joker. Yeah. That's Joker, and that's like yeah, Doctor Mabuse is a massive influence on the Joker.
1: Holy shit, man.
0: Hmm. I thought that was kind of a nice little fun thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Joker's my favorite villain. So I guess now...
0: Because there is no... I mean, in particular, like the Dark Knight one where you just like... I mean, Michael Caine sums it up so well. It's just like some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. <laughs> like, they don't do it... For, he's not doing it for fun. He's not doing it for sport. He's just doing it to do it. Like, which is why I kind of don't like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he's got something to prove.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's got an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah.
1: The reason why we didn't talk about that film at the end
0: of, yeah. the, end of the year wrap-up. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> is fine. Like, he, yeah. he... Rock on, I'm happy. He has an Oscar and stuff now. That's fine. But, like, ugh, Yeah. Anyway. That, that, that was no Dr. Mabuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's
1: fascinating. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Is there anything else, like, that we haven't touched on with this one? I mean, obviously, it's performances are super solid everyone's committing really hard to like especially some of the schlockier elements like lowman is so much that kind of exasperated detective like when they wake him up and he's just like open the blinds oh fucking close those goddamn blinds like you know leaning hard on their kind of stereotype and their trope stuff um hoffmeister is great when he goes insane um
1: you know doing that the gloria singing yeah.
0: yeah I mean, uh, the only other major note that I had was that, um, the actor playing Tom looks like German Jack Lemmon, but that's about <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> uh, mate, I want to talk about the, the very ending, the last shot, which is Dr. Mbussi's inhabited Dr. Baum's um, body. He's gone to the Insane Islam.
0: After an amazing car chase with Loman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fucking great 1930s high speed car chase. Yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs>
1: And it finishes with Doctor Balm, who is Doctor Mabuse, has gone insane in Hofmeister's cell, ripping up the the testament that Doctor Mabuse wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's your read on that? Because if it's all about a man that wanted to break down society, and if it is an allegory for Hitler, then then use that state to control it. Yeah. Then what does it mean for Doctor Baum who's gone insane, innocent, and ripping up his own the own testament, his own testament?
0: I I mean my it's a very kind of not very but it, it's a kind of semi ambiguous kind of ending where it's my my read on it was Vuse um, knows is caught like obviously and then we've got the massive car chase and things and so his ending is essentially to he's he's gone like he, he's either. He's either left Doctor Baum and essentially so, yeah. broken him, and so that's what that is. It's like, well, we had our chance to catch Mabuse, but he's his consciousness has left Baum, and he's now just an insane person. He, he's been wrecked because of the experience, or he's doing what he had been doing for years, where he is just laying in wait, oh, okay. starting that cycle all over again.
1: Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, because as I understand it, Doctor Balm was a sympathizer for Doctor Mabuse. He was not inha- He was. He allowed himself to be inhabited by Doctor Mabuse's spirit. Yeah. But even before then, there's that wonderful scene where it's the POV shot with Doctor Balm saying that, you know, the whole Mabuse is almost is, is almost heroizing Doctor Mabuse. Oh yeah, yeah, for it's sure. Just straight up saying like that this man should be heralded as the man that would take down a corrupted world anyway Mm.
0: and which is that awesome thing of why and that's why i think that um kind of latches on to him because he like has been waiting for and like you know has this opportunity and a sympathizer and then like it's someone that's susceptible because the whole thing is Mabuse is able to hypnotize and to be hypnotized you need to be susceptible to the idea of hypnotism and so to for Mabuse to infect baum with his kind of consciousness i guess it's He's susceptible to what Mabuse is doing, so he's able to infiltrate and kind of get in there. So my reading—I don't know whether I want
1: to attach too much meaning to Doctor Balm having been released from Doctor Mabuse, wrapping yeah. up, gone insane. Um,
0: I don't—I don't know if I want to attach like an ideology of lang to that no no i think that is like in particular like what's led us here and like you know a, a shootout and a standoff and like you know and then a car chase it's turned into a very much a schlock action film towards that last 20 minutes to the point of where you're almost like what the fuck is this even the same film like it just yeah, yeah. shifts tones and what it's doing like yeah we like we haven't even mentioned like the massive gunfights and you know all of that that leads up to this but it's which makes me think it is, yeah, again, not a step like you know, attaching an ideology or an overarching grand message. I think Lang has said what he wanted to say with the film at this point, and that's why I like to interpret it as he's essentially setting up the next chapter, I guess. And it's it's almost like yes, we're right, right. back, we're right back where we started because there is, which scene. is where The Gambler ends. It's like this kind of thing where it will keep going on to this next chapter of. Mabuse and him...
1: There's a sequel, isn't there?
0: I don't think so, no. There wasn't a third one? I don't I don't know, actually. I probably should know this, but I only know of The Gambler and The Testament. Oh, my God.
1: Because it's based off a, a series of novels, which is more than two books.
0: Oh, my God, I was so wrong. Yeah, there is a bunch of sequels. Uh, the next one is The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, from 1960 still yeah. directed by Fritz Lang I thought that was excellent yeah. and I think that's the last one Lang did by the looks of it yeah that was, that was the last Fritz Lang one was The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuse then it goes into The Return of Dr. Mabuse The Invisible Dr. Mabuse The Terror of Dr. Mabuse Dr. Mabuse versus Scotland Yard
1: yeah <laughs> totally cinematic universe yeah
0: and then uh, you know it gets into Dr. Mabuse into like modern versions of it as well so, yeah.
1: I'm just going to check if that's in Criterion. No. Okay, so the third the third in, let's call it Lang's Mobility Trilogy, trilogy yeah. is not in the collection.
0: Well, that, and it's a 27 year gap between them. Whereas this one was, what, 10 years? Like uh, 22, I want to say, The Gambler was. Okay. Um, and then it moves up, like, you know, so it's a massive kind of leap in time and you know technology and what's happening with film like it, the fact that he made it in 60 like towards the end of his career and, and like uh, life essentially
1: and he's not he's not a dead shit he's not going to release a film that's i mean it's it's mysterious to its core you don't want to have goebbels saying are you fucking with hitler man
0: yeah exactly like so, that's not going to bo- like end well for anybody yeah. but yeah that that's why i think like yeah the ending it is like him going into that more kind of Schlock kind of pulpy, you know, ending stuff like where it serialized can, 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 it's serialized. It, yeah, it's it's not a. There's like I said, he said what he needs to say. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I've yet again. This is why I love. This is why I not only like watching Criterion films, but I like doing the podcast because we can figure shit because out. <laughs> by the end of the by the end of the film, I have a an idea of what I like and don't like about you know whatever film we're watching, and by the end of the podcast. It's almost always a
0: better film. Yeah, because we're able to actually sit down and nut it out and yeah. have a discussion about it. It's great. Yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Let me just check my notes. Um, yeah, no, we've we pretty much hit everything I wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's it.
0: Uh, we can go into a little bit of trivia then. Okay. Uh, most of which we probably already covered. Uh, Yeah, so the film was banned by the Nazi by Goebbels in 1933 for its subversive nature and the possibility that it might incite people to anti-social behaviour and terrorism against the state. Uh, The film was since the film was banned in Germany, it had its world premiere in on April 21st, 1933, in Budapest. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the when sorry that was in, in its original 124 minute version. Uh, the film was not shown to the German public until August 24th, 1951. What? When it was presented in an edited 111 minute version. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, so we already... So t- is that the Goebbels
1: Institution of... of oh, oh no, no there it's gone. just that's like, actually...
0: I guess, getting active prints and stuff post-war would yeah. have been tough. Yeah. Um... Yep, Uh, as we kind of said, Lange made this film, uh, well, he made the film before the Nazis came to power, um, but it is widely considered to be the first anti-Nazi propaganda film. Uh, As soon as they did come to power, the film was banned, and Lange felt it prudent to leave Germany and move to France. Um, (laughs) I've got some more stuff about his meeting with Goebbels, which I found was kind of cool. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so we talked about, yeah, you kind of mentioned how Goebbels offered Lange uh, a role to be the official movie director of the Nazi re- regime, which Lange said, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> Did you watch Dr. <laughs> yeah. <No time> <laughs> uh Lange said that he would have to think about it, and Lange uh, later stated that he fled uh, that same evening for Paris uh, without being able to withdraw money from his bank account even. He just left, like, left everything there. Um, even, even in the, uh, the
1: American release mm-hmm. of the film, he wrote a kind of forward before the film. And it says this, the film was made as an allegory to show Hitler's processes of terrorism, slogans and doctrines of the third Reich have be- been put into the mouths of criminals in the film. Thus, I hope to expose them and the masked Nazi theory of the necessity to deliberately destroy everything, which is precious to people. Then when everything collapsed and they were thrown into Utter despair, they would try to find help in the new order. So even, I mean, that's making very clear Mm. what this film is
0: about. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. I found the anecdote, like buried in this paragraph of stuff. Um, Yeah, again, this is something that uh, Lang has said no way to prove it right or wrong, but, like, um, it's a fun little thing. Uh, After Goebbels made his proposal of, hey, come on board and be the official director for the Nazis, Lang replied, "Uh, but you must know that my mother was Jewish, to which Goebbels replied, we decide who's Jewish.
1: What the fuck?
0: (laughs) Yeah, if you can exploit someone, then they serve a purpose, then, yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah.
1: That's frightening, man.
0: Um, and, um, the one... You know, we haven't had some trivial trivia for a while, so here we go. Uh, in his autobiography, Time Bends, Arthur Miller, the famous American playwright, um, Crucible, Death of a Salesman, things, uh, speculated that his unconscious mind picked the name Loman for Willie Loman, the protagonist of what I uh, consider to be greatest play, Death of a Salesman, uh, from the name of Loman in this film. He was a massive fan, and he thinks he just subconsciously was like, that's a great name for an everyday kind of guy. So, yeah. Uh, Trivial. <laughs> well,
1: well, yes, but also the um, this film has left a really strong stamp on the culture of today. Given, oh yeah. Given that you've got even the Joker being based off this guy. Yeah, so
0: exactly. Like it, it's it's fucking impressive. It has an influence, and it's a very well made film. So yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed. It. Uh, so yeah, it's obviously still available from Criterion as a two-disc DVD and available on the Criterion channel, uh, but the physical release comes with an audio commentary by David Callet, uh, author of The Strange Case of Dr. Mabuse, uh, the complete French-language version of the film. Excerpts from, for example, Fritz Lang, uh, 1964 interview with Lang, uh, directed by famed German documentarian Erwin Leiser. Um, Mabuse in Mind, a 1984 film uh, by Thomas Honigal, featuring an interview with actor Rudolf Schlunder, who played Hardy in the film. You're doing such a great job. (laughs) I'm trying. Uh, Comparison between the 1933 German version, the French version, and The Crimes of Dr. Mabuse, the edited, dubbed American version of the film. Uh, Interview with German Mabuse expert Michael Farron about the literary inventor... Of the series Norbert Jacques, rare production design drawings by art director Emil Hassler, a collection of memorabilia, press books, stills, posters, as well as the usual essay and booklet that Criterion usually do. So a fucking stacked edition. Yeah, mm. it's nice to see the different versions. Mm. Certainly, that and that comparison as well will be super fascinating but I guess unless we got anything else that'll probably wrap us up for the testament of Dr. Mabuse and we are back in a a week's time with a double feature of the same film oh Oh, the uh, story of floating weeds and floating weeds weeds by Yasujiro Uzu so yeah so I'm intrigued to check those out so we'll um watch them back to back and be back in a week's time with Ingrid so I don't know where I'm going with that but yeah I guess uh, thanks for listening everyone Uh, tune in in a week's time for some more Ozu but uh, for this week's episode I'm Chris
1: and I'm Tom see you next time